The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The past few weeks I've been speaking on a series entitled Traveling, Discovering God's Road for Your Life, but that series is over. But I want to continue with the idea of traveling. Sometimes when we take trips, we find ourselves going off on some back roads. And when we go on those back roads, maybe we discover some things we never saw before. Some little historical sites or some information about the community we didn't even know existed. Whatever it might be, we find some interesting things when we take those little back road trips to things that aren't so well known. And that's true not only of traveling, but it's true kind of of life in general. Sometimes we take little back road trips when we discover more information about a, a product that we're using, or maybe more information about some people that we've known for a while and, and didn't know something about them with their background. All interesting little things. Well, there's some back roads of the Bible too. Some little stories that we don't know too much about, but they come with a big, powerful, biblical message. And so this month I'd like to speak about taking some back road trips into the Bible to hear about some little stories that maybe you're not familiar with, but being reminded of some big, important, powerful, biblical truths for our lives. Today, that back road trip takes us to the city of Jerusalem and Hezekiah's tunnel. Did you ever hear about Hezekiah's tunnel before? If you haven't, then you'll know what I mean about this being a back road trip. And what we're going to discover is that saving water saves lives. Now that sounds like a water conservation campaign in the state of California, doesn't it? Save water. But you're going to see what I mean as I unfold this story for you. So for the first part of our message, I just want you to sit back and pretend you're a tourist in the city of Jerusalem, and now you're going to hear about this tunnel that King Hezekiah had dug. Well, first, we might ask, who is Hezekiah? Well, he was the 13th king of Judah, and he is described as being righteous and devout. Now, those two things are important because, as you look at this map, remember that in this time of Israel's history, the, the nation is divided into two sections. The northern kingdom, which is called Israel, and the southern kingdom, which is called Judah. Hezekiah is the 13th king of Judah. And the reason that he is referred to as being righteous and devout is because of what was going on before his time. Now, we understand that he ruled approximately those years, but the first part of his rule was actually with his father, Ahaz. So if you look at this chart, uh, Hezekiah is in the middle there on the bottom. And right above him is a man by the name of Ahaz. That was his father. Ahaz was a wicked king. He did not follow the ways of the Lord, and he misled the people into idol worship. And that's going to be a significant point in just a minute. You can see from that chart over on the left side that uh, 
People like Hosea, Isaiah, and Micah were also active during this time. Those you recognize as some of the prophets from the Old Testament. And they had important messages for what was going on. And what was going on was this. If you look at the right side of that chart, you see on the bottom that red line. It says, Samaria falls to the Assyrians. Samaria is the northern portion of Israel. They fell captive to the Assyrian nation. And the reason for that was pronounced by those prophets like Isaiah and Micah. The people had become unfaithful to the Lord. And the Lord had warned them to return back to him or disaster would come. They didn't return, but disaster did come. The Assyrian nation, which is pretty much today what we would call Iraq, invaded Israel under the name of the king Sennacherib. He came and he conquered that area, and Israel was no longer. Hezekiah sees the impending danger. And he sees the same thing going on in Judah that was happening to their cousins in the north. Idolatry. And so when he becomes king, he takes on a revival or a reform. This chart demonstrates the spiritual and, and moral ups and downs of the people of Judah. You can see on the top the good kings who led revivals. And in the middle just good kings, but they weren't able to affect much among the people. And then the evil kings. And right before Hezekiah, we have listed an evil king on the bottom there, his father Ahaz. So the first thing Hezekiah has to do when he takes over is to create a revival and a reform. And he does. He orders that all the altars and the statues to the false gods be torn down. So he rids Judah of idol worship. Then he calls for the hearts of the people to return to the Lord. Because it wasn't just idols and statues and altars, but idols that the people had in their heart. Then he reinstitutes the festival of the Passover, something that the people had neglected for some time. But he calls them to return to that as a reminder of how God had saved them in the past and would save them in the future through the sacrifice of a lamb. Here's how Hezekiah went about his reform. At the king's command, couriers went throughout Israel and Judah with letters from the king and from his officials, which read, People of Israel, return to the Lord the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may return to you who are left, who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. For the Lord your God is gracious and compassionate. He will not turn his face from you if you return to him. Hezekiah also knew that it would take more than just words of encouragement to the people it would take words that were sent to the Lord himself. And so he prayed for the people, saying, May the Lord, who is good, pardon everyone who sets their heart on seeking God, the Lord, the God of their ancestors. 
even if they are not clean, ceremonially clean, according to the rules of the sanctuary. And the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. The people took that encouragement from Hezekiah. They followed his example and they took on bringing sacrifices to the temple that were all offered to the Lord. So a great revival did take place among the people. And this is how the Bible summarizes his reign. This is what Hezekiah did throughout Judah, doing what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. In everything that he undertook in the service of God's temple and in obedience to the law and the commands, he sought his God and worked wholeheartedly. And so he prospered. That sounds like a good ending to a story, right? Look at all the work that he did to reform it. The people obeyed and returned to the Lord, and things are going well. But then, as we like to say, the other shoe drops. <laughs> now something else happened. The Assyrian king who had invaded the northern part of Israel was still on a war path. He is now going to attack the southern part. And so he begins a campaign attacking the fortified cities of Judah. And one by one, they begin to fall. Hezekiah sees the danger and knows that he needs to do something. The Bible puts it this way. After all that Hezekiah had so faithfully done, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. He laid siege to the fortified cities, thinking to conquer them for himself. Hezekiah recognized the threat that he was up against. He saw now that he had to do something to protect the people. And here's what he did. Well, first we should answer the question, why was this going on if they were all so faithful? What we often see is the Lord isn't done working on us. And even though we have been faithful to him, he may still put us through a time of testing to make us even more faithful. So here's what Hezekiah does. When Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that he had intended to wage war against Jerusalem, he consulted with his officials and military staff about blocking off the water from the springs outside the city. And they helped him. They gathered a large group of people who blocked all the springs and the stream that flowed through the land. Why should the kings of Assyria come and find plenty of water, they said. Well, it was Hezekiah who blocked the upper outlet of the Gihon Spring and channeled the water down to the west side of the city of David. He succeeded in everything he undertook. All right, so now you have to act like you are a tourist, okay? And here's some pictures to help you understand what's going on. Here's a diagram of the city of Jerusalem. You notice on the upper right a, a label, the Gihon Springs. This was some springs of water that supplied water for the city of Jerusalem. They even put a tower around it to guard it. But here's the situation. Those springs also watered the outside 
of the city. You see that on the lower left. In an area that was called the Kidron Brook. This was the king's garden. And Hezekiah is thinking, when those armies come and gather outside our city, we're going to be supplying them with water. We're going to be helping them in their attack. So his plan is to block those springs so that there will not be any water going out to that brook. But how is he going to do that? Well, here was his plan. Off on the right side, you see a red circle. That's the springs of Gihon. And then you see a blue dotted line traveling through the city to the left side where there was a pool for the people. Not a swimming pool, but a watering pool. The pool of Siloam and another reservoir below that. He decides that he is going to channel that water just so it stays inside the city. But how is he going to do that? He has to dig a tunnel under the city. Now remember, this is 3,000 years ago. So they didn't have the kind of equipment and engineering skills that we have today. But he had people who were, really, who were willing to work. And so they began a process of tunneling with two teams, one from the uh, spring side and the other one from the side where the pool was. And they worked at it for several months. And finally, the two teams met in the middle. And when they break down that wall, the water is able to flow from the spring down to the pool. Now, this tunnel was first discovered in 1860 by a British explorer. Up to that time, people didn't know where this tunnel was or if it was really true. But when they discovered the tunnel, they put the two together to prove that biblical account was accurate. So, this large tunnel is dug from the west, uh, northeast side rather, down to the west, southern side. And so the water is cut off to the enemies, and it's there for the people in the city. Saving water would save their lives. So they thought. A little later on in the 1800s, they also discovered in the middle of that tunnel uh, a wood, uh, rather a stone plaque on the wall that described in detail how those two groups worked. So now there was archaeological evidence to give a description for the work, that amazing tunneling work that saved that water, that saved the city. And there's a picture of it in a museum. So what did he do? His strategy to face the challenge, the trouble that was before them, we got to do something, let's dig this tunnel. And they do. But they recognize they still are going to have to fight an enemy. So they prepared weapons, and they repaired their wall to withstand an enemy attack. But there was still one more thing they needed to do, and that was to pray. Hezekiah led the people now to put their trust, not in their works, but in the mercy and the power of God. Hezekiah prays, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. For there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people gained confidence 
from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. But the Lord was the one who actually acted to save the people. Yes, they cut off water from the enemy. Yes, they had their weapons prepared and the wall repaired. But there were still a hundred some thousand troops outside of their city. In answer to the prayer, the Bible tells us the Lord sent an angel who annihilated all the fighting men and the commanders and officers in the camp of the Assyrian king. And so he withdrew to his own land in disgrace. The Lord stepped in and saved the day. All right, now you're done being tourists. Now let's be Bible students. Are there some lessons here that we can learn? Well, first of all, recognizing that sometimes the Lord sends testing our way. Even after there's been a period of triumph, his purpose is to see if we will trust when times are tough. And that's the test he put before Hezekiah and the people. Were they going to trust in their own engineering and their own strategies, or would they trust in the Lord? Another lesson we can learn is one that Luther often liked to repeat from the, old te- uh, from the uh, uh, church father, Augustine. He would say, pray like it all depends on God. And then when you are done, go and work like it all depends on you. Pray and work, but in both, trust God. You see, the real solution to the problem the people faced was trusting God. For Hezekiah, we could say he was a king who had his trust tested, as well as the trust of the people. The prophet Isaiah was doing his work during this same time. And he noted how the people were putting their trust in their own strategy and work. And so he had a message for them to call them back to trust the Lord. Isaiah said, You also saw the city of David, that it was great. And you gathered together the waters of the lower pool. You also made a reservoir between the two walls for the water of the old pool. But you did not look to its maker, nor did you have respect for him who fashioned it long ago. You see, he was just reminding us that sometimes we get our confidence from what we do when our confidence needs to come from the Lord. Trust the Lord. He is the one who knows our situation. He is the one Who cares about us? And he is the one who has a plan to bless us. Now, sometimes we may not always see what that plan is. We may not always understand how the Lord is working. But all he calls us to do is simply trust. To trust that God will bless us. And that's what the people did. Despite their tunnel, despite their weapons and their wall, they knew their victory would only come from the might of their God. 
it's interesting to know that this pool of water that was created, the pool of Siloam, was also one that Jesus used in his ministry. One day when a man who was blind came to him, Jesus told him to go wash in that pool. He did. And he was healed. Because of the Lord's might, not because of the water. Well, the Lord also heals us with water. Saving water that saves is not referring to what we need to do to conserve water. It's referring to the saving water of baptism that saves us. How can water do such a, simple water do such a powerful thing, Luther asked. It's because of what God does through that water and his word. That's what we heard about from Peter a few minutes ago when he said this water, referring to the waters of the flood, symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. It's not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Our baptism connects us to Jesus. Paul explained that in Romans 6. He said, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. This morning, you notice we have a new baptismal font here. It was donated by the family of Debbie Dennis, who passed away a, a couple of years ago. And when I was ministering to her in her final months, she recalled for me how comforting her baptism was. To know that through baptism, she was made a child of God forever. And so her family donated a new baptismal font to remind us of that saving water of baptism. And this font has very clearly displayed on it what makes that power of baptism work. Our Savior, Jesus Christ. Backroads, a tunnel in which water was saved for the people, but it reminds us of the saving power of our God. That's the big biblical truth. In times of despair or doubt or trouble, let's just do what Luther would do, remind ourselves of that saving water of baptism and simply say, I'm baptized. That's the big biblical truth that saves. Amen.